bless you. Please be seated. We continue in 1 Corinthians this morning. Isn't it amazing that we who know Jesus, and, and today we're talking to the church. This letter to the Corinthians is to the church, people he calls saints, people who know Christ, who know the gospel, that we are loved forever by Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Are all your sins that you've ever done, ever do, or ever will do, are they forgiven? Why, yes. Yes, they are. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing, radical thing. And, man, I presume that we have been humbled by the law and our self-righteousness revealed, and we've been broken, and we come and receive the gift of Jesus. This is the new covenant by trusting Jesus Christ alone. It's a wonderful thing. We sing songs to Jesus. We're here to worship him. We've been through that in Corinthians where he actually last time set up this whole piece of the centrality that we know around the gospel, the good news. This announcement from outside of us that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for our sin and he loves us. And we've accepted that and we take it in and it's the ground we walk on. And yet Paul last week said, hey, you're taking it a couple different ways. There's, there's the apostles way which says we're weak and foolish or nothing. And there's your way, which you're using it, this lever to feel like you're wise and strong and better. Don't do it, he says. And in light of these things, this message of simple trust is all you need, well, we stand there and we're amazed at Jesus and what he's done for us. It is hard to stay there. The reason why it's hard to stay there is there's constantly things coming at us, different ideas of what we should do and how we should think. So as a Christian and you're standing there, the image I have for you this morning, and I hope you're not offended, is there are bullets coming at you. Can you dodge them? Dodging bullets. Okay, don't get offended. Again, this movie's 20 years old. Just shows how old I am. There's the guy in the Matrix, right? And, and, and he stands there and she just stops. So, so it's so amazing. The Bible's like that. In an important way, there's these things that were handled then. We get to stop the bullet. We get to see what it is that was a problem in Corinth and, and, and figure out, if we can, how to dodge them, how to avoid these things coming at us that are wrong thinking. And you know what? Today, really interesting and really timely for us, it's around the area of sin, tolerance. We live in such a confused state in our society about what tolerance of sin means. You know, sometimes we'd step back and we think how important it is for us to, to really um, to, to, to embrace the sinner and to love them and to love each other even though we're sinners because we're all sinners in this room. How important that is. But then it's confusing. Like the society tells us we need to accept everybody. And, and, and do I do that or do I, I try to point out in the world where people are wrong? Or how do I deal with this thing called sin? Really helpful that Paul wrote this, this these things here. And... I'm just going to isolate for us three of the bullets that may be coming after you as a Christian. And then I want to make sure you see from Paul how to dodge them. Super helpful in light of the gospel. Okay, so that's what we're doing, that, that this kind of thinking that we have about... And you know what? It, it's important for us, too, because we're a church that just stands on the gospel. If your church just says, hey, it's all Jesus, man, it's grace. Grace becomes this catchword. And this fear even that we have that it's become that of, oh, that just means you do whatever you want. That just means it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. 
Grace, grace, grace. You're doing something bad? Oh, grace, grace, grace. Wait, stop. How should we think, even in the church, about sin? Okay. So uh, you've heard the sin word lots now. You know it's going to be some heavy message. I'm sorry. But we're going to dodge some bullets together. Let's do it. Okay. The first bullet to dodge is the idea that you should boast in your sin. It's coming at you. Don't, don't, don't grab hold of it. Here he goes. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. He says this, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Interesting start. It's like, whoa. Right away, the strong, passionate, in the midst of our essential humility, you and I, right? This reality that we're nothing. Paul says, boy, I've heard you have this among you, sexual morality. And not just that, what I'm really sad about, you're proud of it. You're arrogant. Now, it's a little bit hard for us as we just start this cold turkey. Because because when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, this is a letter to a specific church. And you just know when he writes this, and they're in the, and they're reading it in Corinth, everybody looks over to somebody. They know who it is. They know the guy. They know what's happening. They know all the reasons why they've embraced it. They know, hey, I could, I could dream up some, something along the lines of, wow, you know what? Yeah, he's got this sin, but he's a really good leader. He's a good teacher. And that guy gives a lot of money to the church. He's got a lot of good things about him. There's this one bad thing he's, he, he's not doing well. But you could think of uh, what might be. Maybe they're being a judge saying, well, he's a good person. But, but perhaps, and I think more closely to our context that hurts us today, they're embracing the gospel in a confused way. A way that says Jesus paid for sin, and so we proudly embrace anyone no matter what they're doing. Kind of like that's the mark of being a Christian. <laughs> the acceptance of each other. Isn't that what love is? The acceptance of what each other's doing. We need to have love. Tolerance of sin, you know, in, in a way that actually boasts that we're just accepting all the behaviors of everyone. I mean, after all, we're all saved. We're talking about people in the church. So this argument becomes, the gospel is about tolerance. Look, I'm proud of it. How tolerant we are of the negative actions of other people. It's, it's a point of pride for us. This closely approximates not what tolerance used to be, which is a listening to other opinions, but a modern view of tolerance which says, you must accept me. And it comes from this position of understanding or this thought that the gospel says this is what we're to do. I believe Paul would say to you and me today, I believe he just said, no way. No way. If someone's in the body, in the body of Christ, so we're talking about our body, these walls, metaphorically, our community, and you're with them, and they're in gross sin, and they don't even care. That's the thought here. They don't even care that they're in sin. You shouldn't be proud of your ability to call it okay. That's not what he says. He says, and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? You shouldn't be proud over you see people in unrepentant sin. You should be 
sad. It should make you cry. Paul's angry. I mean, it's not so much oriented at this man. He, he's angry at the church. He, he's disturbed at their response to gross sin in the body. So here's the deal. Sin, hear this, sin hurts people. It's bad. It isn't a cause for joy when you see someone sinning without any hint of struggle or admittance of wrong. And that's the thought here. It's this idea, not that we fall into sin. People fall into sin all the time. It's hard. We're sitting with other people. If you look around, don't look around right now. But I'll tell you, there's sinners all around you. And I could bust out the mirror, too. We sin all the time. So did they in Corinth, right? In fact, in Corinth, it was maybe a harder situation. There were so many people who, who, who were in sexual sin. It was all over the place. The temple prostitutes, the things going on. It was a loose society. Is it any surprise that someone in the body might fall into sin? No. That's not what he means. He's talking about the embracing of it proudly. I can do this. It's not wrong. I can believe in Jesus and do what I want. And, and, and this is the sin that is being embraced. Anyone who says, I sin, and if you point it out, I agree with them. That's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's not a, 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 there's no general underlying essence of humility, of repentance, of confession. So this is not someone who's, the church isn't mourning about it. The person's not mourning about it. This is the opposite. The person who will not be soft, who insists that his sin is nothing, that won't agree with God on what is right. And Paul says, remove that person. Don't affirm sin. Don't think that it's acceptable. Don't be soft on unrepentant, in-your-face sin. I mean, Paul is really clear. Look what he does. He says, he says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. I know what to do, says Paul. Here's what I instruct you to do. Paul, who gave them the gospel, who lives for Christ alone, who gets all his righteousness from Christ, who doesn't think there's anything good in him, he says, get that person out. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present in the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow. Did I hear the word Satan? When do we ever talk about that? And yet this is what he's telling them, right? He, he's not saying deliver them over to Satan so that, so that they can experience the flames of hell and be judged. He's not saying deliver them over to Satan even so he can stop sinning. He says, deliver him over to Satan, put him out into the world so that the proud person who's proud of their sin might, what, bear the consequences of his sin. That's what the world does. The world is all about sin and consequence. The world is all about law. The world is all about, hey, merit. The world is all about you're going to do things, and, and whatever you do, yes or no, you get judged on those things. And let me tell you, sin is bad. It eventually has bad consequences for you. He says, get him out there so that he sees the terrible consequence of his sin, what does he hope happens? His heart gets broken. He sees his self-righteousness, and he's humbly before Jesus. 
Give him over to the world where Satan rules. Get him over to the world where the law works on the flesh. The consequences, the humbling consequences of sin, it never works out. And it's, it's this particular thing. It's so amazing that his spirit may be saved. So the only hope for him is when the day of the Lord comes, he's saved. And that's what he wants for him. So the whole purpose of Paul coming and saying, I want this person out, is to help the sinner. It's an amazing thing. You know, that's not where we go. We we see sin in the camp. We get mad at the sinner. We want to get him. We want to bear the consequences for his sin. And what Paul wants to do is make sure he's saved. Have a heart for people. So this idea that they're boasting in sin is actually not loving the sinner. You see that? You see that when we're proud of how accepting we are of sin in the camp? That we're actually looking at someone who's sinning. And they're bleeding on the floor. And we're acting like they're not bleeding. Dude, help them. How do you help? It's tough. You say, go bear the consequence of it. Again, this is not someone that's just sitting here falling into sin. This is not someone for the thousandth time. For the thousandth time you can sin and your heart is soft and you want to repent. Oh, man, I'm so excited for you. It's not This underlying piece is not there that you, that you have a soft heart about sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, doesn't he? He says, oh, I sin all the time. I wish I didn't sin, but here I am sinning again. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? He follows it right up with, there's therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because he's, he's sad about his sin. Not that he doesn't sin. It's a general understanding. This is the lesson. The gospel is received by the humble. If you want to fight God, then go back to the law and get killed again so that your spirit will live and receive the gift that James calls the implanted word. So this idea that we're talking about, even right now, it's about going from law to gospel. Because we're in the gospel, you and I, and, and we've seen the law already. What the law has done is that it's crushed us. And we say, oh, I'm such a sinner, I need Jesus. And so then I turn and I come to Jesus and I receive him. And here we have this word of, of absolution because I've come and confessed that I'm a sinner. I've come and said, I can't do this. It's not about listing every sin. It's about a heart attitude all the time, you and me, that we say, I'm broken and I need Jesus. And therefore we get the absolution of Every single sin you've ever done is finished. Oh. But if you haven't done that and you think proudly that your sin doesn't matter and you stand up and say, hey, I don't need forgiveness for this one. It's good. Love trumps all and I love this person. Even though the Bible says something different and God says something different. That's not the gospel. You need more law. You need to be broken in that. You need to see that what God's standards are are actually different than you think, and you need to be humbled, because then you'll come to see the wonder of forgiveness. That's what Paul wants to see for this person here, and he wants the church to, to not get hit with this bullet, that what the gospel is is that you boast in sin. No, no. What the gospel is is that you help the sinner, and you help the sinner by being humble helping them see. If you're unconvinced that your sin is ugly and evil and gross, you need the law to work on you. You need to be out in the world where Satan rules, where dreams die, where the flesh is exposed. You, you have no place in the body where we are humbly, not putting our actions on a pedestal. We're seeing ourselves as the sinners we are. I'm such a sinner. I need Jesus.
If you think tolerating gross immorality, embracing those who stand against God and say it is okay, that they're not needing Christ's forgiveness for sin, even though they're calling themselves Christians, you think that's love. Ignoring the ugliness and not calling it out, that's a bullet that will derail you. It will injure you, and it will injure them. Call it out. That's what we're doing. So this is the first bullet, boasting in your sin, and you, and you, you dodge it by, by helping the sinner, not hurting them. That's the first one. There's another bullet. This is the second one. We have a tendency in the church, especially around these areas of sin and tolerance, to avoid the truth. We just do. I think it's hard for us. Sometimes I'm not sure why, I, although I see to myself, we're, we're wanting to please people, we're not certain we should go into their space, we, we're not sure we have that open door, we, we don't want to cause waves, and I'm I just not going to go there. That's not what Paul says. Paul wants us as a community, we're talking to Christians, to be the community of understanding of the gospel. Look what he says. Your boasting is not good. I'm talking to the church. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So the, the, the leaven that he's talking about here is the boasting. The leaven that he's talking about is they're agreeing with this man about his sin that is acceptable in Christ. And this modern view of tolerance, right, it really has no place in the church. I don't have to accept your actions. I don't have to justify you. Sounds kind of harsh, maybe. I mean, doesn't the gospel mean we accept each other as we are? Doesn't it mean God loves me as I am and not as I should be? Of course it does. It's exactly what it means. God even died for us while we were yet sinners. One of my favorite Bible verses. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. That doesn't mean the church agrees with your sinful behavior. The church says your sinful behavior can be forgiven if you're broken and not proud. So Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven. What's that? That's pride. That's your exalted self. That's I get my own way. That's I self-justify and defend and excuse away and say that I can do whatever I want to because I'm me. Do you see how this works? Let me go a little bit further. Because this, this idea, though, see it right here in the passage. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are in leaven, he's saying, hey, not... Hey, make sure you get rid of all your sins so you can be unleavened. The imagery that he uses, and it's from the Old Testament and from this Feast of, of Days, this Passover feast, he, he's using this to say, you are unleavened. You see that? You already are. The last line, as you really are unleavened, you already are. Don't act like you, you're not. No more fluffy bread for you with leaven in it. Now you get matzo bread. Delicious. Maybe not so delicious, but that's what you are. Let me walk you through a little bit more so you see. So he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, he's putting up these two things here, and it's based on his image that he pulls up from the Old Testament. Sometimes when we see these, we don't really understand what he's talking about, so we just go on. But it'd be really helpful for you to understand what he's saying. So let me talk to you about it for a minute. Here, Old Testament. People of Israel in Egypt, enslaved. God's going to rescue them. 
Did he rescue them? By This is the final, the very last of the plagues. Is this final plague where the angel of death was going to come and kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians, right? Because they're bad people. But he was going to save the good people, the Israelites. Did he save them because they were really good people and they did all these good things? No. Not because they were standing on their good things, huh? Instead, what God said was, hey, what you need to do is you need to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and you kill it. You sacrifice it. And you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on your doorpost over your door. And when the angel of death comes, he won't be looking at your goodness or your badness. He'll be looking at the blood of the lamb. And if you look at the blood of that lamb, what's your this Passover lamb, that this is the sacrifice, and Christ is our Passover lamb, and he's our sacrifice. And so it's not about how good we've been or our defense of how good we are. It's about our appeal to Christ. I have no hope in me. I only hope in Christ. And for seven days in this feast, they had to remember that by eating unleavened bread to think about this amazing thing that they were dead and they were redeemed. See how amazing that is? Do you see how it plays in here? Because, because otherwise, if I'm not here, if I don't understand the central truth of the gospel, what do I do? I, I think it's about my works. I'm all the time defensive about that. You come up to me and you say, hey, Dax, I saw you did that. I saw some sin in your life. And you come and accuse me, and I need to defend myself. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand I'm a victim. You don't understand whatever it is because it's so important to me that I, my works be seen as good. My works be seen as okay. Give me a silly example, okay? You walk in and see Pastor Dax in, the, in Hagen's and he's stealing a candy bar. Don't look too closely. You walk up and say, Swanson, I see you stealing that candy bar. Now, my immediate thing, if I'm not understanding the depth of, of sin or who I am and this understanding of Christ, I, I get self-defensive. You don't understand. They charge so much for candy bars here. That's like way more than you should charge. And I've already bought 12 candy bars. This is like 13th free. It's like a baker's dozen. I'm really hungry. You don't understand. I don't, I don't have the money. But these guys are rich, and they can, t- they can spare one little candy bar. Come on. And come on, at the end of the day, it's a candy bar. You're going to condemn me over a candy bar? Dude. I get self-righteous. You see me doing that? Instead, if I'm in the gospel, I say, hey, my, my hope is in Jesus. You come and call me on my blind spot. Guess what? i got lots of blind spots. I've got sin. And you can come, and my heart is soft, and I say, you know what? You're right. Man, I'm a sinner. And, and when I say that to you, man, I'm a sinner, you get to say back to me something. What do you get to say back to me? In my softness, in my repentant heart, say, man, I'm a sinner. You get to say, Jesus died for you. That's absolution, right? That's actually forgiveness. That's what we experience in Christ. That's not you saying stealing is good. That's you saying stealing can be forgiven. In fact, in the body it is forgiven. Okay, so so there you are. If I am I'm sitting here understanding, it's not on my goodness that I've been saved at all. Therefore, when you call me on my goodness, I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to try and make stuff up. I don't have to hide. This is the malice and evil that he's talking about. The, the need for you not to be open and transparent and live, to, but to be self-justifying and hidden. And instead, he says what we're to be is telling the truth, calling a thing what it is. It is so sad in our society, and it invades the church, and this is where we don't want it, that we don't call a thing what it is. You should. You're saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ alone. 
If somebody calls you on a sin, praise God that they're telling you truth. If it's a sin, right? Of course. You don't have to be hiding, though. And part of the reality of being in Christ is that we call things what it is. We don't act in underhanded ways. We don't need to protect ourselves in that way because we've been saved by the Passover lamb. Look at the truth. Jesus, an innocent man, died for you so you can be bold. You can rest not in right behaviors or right actions on your behalf. You can transparently call a thing what it is because if it's received by somebody else, there's forgiveness. So cool. Okay, so again, tolerance isn't helped by disavowing sin exists. By not calling a thing what it is. By justifying evil, by embracing wrong. And so what we can do in sincerity and truth, we're around the Bible, and we just speak, hey, this is what I think the Bible's saying, and I can give that to you. Because I know that in this room, we're the same, we're sinners, saved by Jesus. And we can rejoice that he forgives sin. It's the only way through. So let's not, let's dodge this bullet of not telling the truth by actually speaking in sincerity and truth because of the gospel. That's bullet number two. There's one more and it's probably the most important. It's the most confusing for us. It's where we go wrong a lot. It's that we, we, we have this bullet come at us that we're blurring distinctions. We're blurring distinctions and probably in some area you might be doing this right now, Christian. And what I mean is the distinction for how you think of tolerance and sin between the world and the church. Between the world and the church. There's the bullet. Look what Paul says. Verse 9. It says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, stop right there for a minute. I wrote you in my letter. Yeah, but Paul, this is the second letter that we think Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There was a first one. It's lost to the ages. It's not part of Scripture. So evidently what Paul did was he wrote them a letter earlier to tell them, watch out for sexual morality, which is really a good thing he was telling them in Corinth. Big sin in Corinth. So they were taking this to say, okay, we're not going to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning, though, he says. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Isn't this radical? See this as a Christian. You should absolutely tolerate sin in the world. Chew on that. It is so not our culture as a Christians. We want to make the church the world. We want to go out there and say, okay, I want to impose my view of sin and Christianity on everything out there. But spend time on Facebook for 20 minutes. I did. I confess. Last night, I just hopped on and I looked at different pastors saying stuff about what they want the world to be. It's all about stuff about imposing on the world. Why isn't this political figure this way? Man, it's bad that they're not this way. How come people aren't dealing with this issue that way? They need to see that the right thing to do is this. They're not Christians. Where are my expectations? Down there below the floor. Everything is about... If you don't understand the depth of what Jesus has done for you, which is what you need to get to have a broken heart, then there's no gospel in what you're doing. It's all self-righteousness. And therefore, people go after the, the, the actions that they think are right, and it has no bottom to it. It has no standing. There's no humility at the base. It's all self-justifying. And so we try and impose that on the world. Like, man, if I could just get the world into something that would work well, but the world would function better. If all the sin would go away, let's work on getting the sin gone. 
Dude, everything they do is sin. There's no Jesus. Everything that's not of faith is sin, the Bible says. So that's where he's saying, right? He's saying there's no end to this. Sin happens because people are a victim or circumstances are hard or people are hardwired that way. And you know what? I have no argument with them. I don't need to debate. Why? It's the world. It's the world. I can say, hey, there's a Jesus that you should know because at the end of all this stuff that you're trying to do or the end of your self-justification and you bought him out, I'm telling you there's forgiveness for you and there's a Savior that loves you. I got that. But I don't have the imposition of my moral circumstances on them. Paul says, don't, don't bother. The beer garden has no danger for you. Unless, unless, don't hear me, hear me wrongly, boy, if you've got a particular weakness in getting drunk, don't go there. I'm not saying that. Don't go to places that you're going to sin in. But don't be afraid of going into any part of society and associating with people. That's what he's talking about. Associating with people who are greedy or swindlers or immoral or idolaters. Because you know what? Everybody you interact with is one of those. You're not going to hide. You're the light of the world. Go be with people. Love on them. You don't need to impose your morality on them. This is really important. And it's really important in light of even what we read this morning. Remember how we read Jesus went out and he ate with tax collectors and, boy, people who were not, in fact, the Bible just says they're sinners. He went out and ate with sinners. All stripes. He's hanging out with them, reclining at table. Really amazing. So it grieves me somewhat as we do this. We, there's this bullet coming out of us. So we, we mix it up and then we're giving the wrong messages. And actually what we end up giving the message of is that Christianity is primarily about fitting into a moral framework. God doesn't care about your moral framework. It's not good enough. He cares about your broken heart. And he says to people like you and me, we found a treasure. He loves us. We receive forgiveness. Okay, so, so there's that. But then he says this about the church. Now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual morality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Way back in the 80s, there was a, a different movement of people trying to do this stuff called separation and secondary separation and tertiary separation, and it was super confusing, and it's a bunch of bunk. But, but there is this. Someone who says they're Christian and is in unrepentant sin. Again, this is not falling into sin. We sin in many ways. If I spend 20 minutes with you, I'll find sin. Don't worry, 15 minutes, you can find some in me. I can put a mirror, I can look around, you can see there's sin everywhere, right? This is someone who says, I'm proud of my sin. Yeah, I get drunk. There's a, this is not my story, but it's a real story. If someone came up to a pastor and said, hey, pastor, they're obviously drunk in service. And they said, yeah, but I learned how to make moonshine and we're having something. Come on over. We're going to party tonight. And I just, I really like you. Come on over. The pastor, of course, said, are you kidding because as a Christian, someone in his body, someone bears the name of Christ, and they're proud that they're going to like experience drunkenness. That's sin. You don't, you don't hang out. This is Paul's thing. In the camp, in our sir, it's not that they are sinning; it's that they're unrepentant. They're 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 proud that they get to do that. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's us. 
The church is saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's us. The church is precious and holy. That's us. And so inside these walls, again, our community, not the physical walls, we we don't speak of law to be accomplished, but of love and acceptance and absolution and forgiveness. And the basis for that is our humbled, broken awareness that we sin. If you remove that humbled, broken awareness that we sin and instead insert a proud certainty that everything is okay, you've missed the gospel. What you really need is a bunch more law to break your wicked heart. Right? And so within the church is the only grounds for that. we got to be brokenhearted and transparent and sad over the sin we're in. That's, that's what it means to need a Savior. If we're not that way, then we're saying we don't need a Savior, and that's not what we are. And therefore, Paul even says this, What have I to do with judging outsiders? Well, I don't judge anybody out there. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. That's even scarier. That's a scary statement. But it means it's not your job. Purge the evil person from among you. Right? The distinction he's making is right there. The one who's actively evil, that means not repentant, not soft, not broken. It doesn't mean he's not sinning. It means there's an attitude there of unrepentance. Again, I'm not saying, okay, Dr. Wow, don't even eat with that person, Paul said, right? I'm not expecting anyone to have me over anytime soon. (laughs) But that's not the case, right? It's not that you can't find sin. It's that we're soft. It's that we actually have this heart. This is about our response. And the the danger for us as a church is that we blur distinctions. We start to go backwards in it. We want to impose morality on the the world to try and make them better. There's no such thing. They need to be broken. And then people in our body, if they're not broken, they need to get out there so they get broken. So that the consequences of sin weigh heavy. And then in this room, we see, those of us who are brokenhearted, we see the sweet forgiveness of Jesus. Oh, the love that you can experience, the forgiveness you can have, that when someone comes to you in sin, you say, you know what? Jesus died for you, brother. You don't say that someone says, oh, I can, I'm okay. Jesus doesn't need to die for me. This is good. Nope. You say it to someone who says, I'm a sinner. Let's stay there. Okay. This is what we've done today. We've, we've dodged bullets. So we want to remember that as we think through this, we love the one who's who's an unrepentant brother by putting him out under the law in the world. We remember that we speak the truth, right? Not in an unloving way, but in sincerity. All is Christ. There's nothing good in us. Come back to the cross. See that your sin is not good. Receive forgiveness. Remember that we don't treat the world and the church the same. It's actually different than you might think. We associate freely with the world. They need you. We're discerning with those who say they get the gospel, but they're in unrepentant sin. And we come back again and again, you know, to our Passover lamb, the one who died for us. And we see the wondrous forgiveness of Christ that's available to you and to me every day. You might not be very good at this. In fact, it's really hard. So I'll give you one more picture before we end. This is where we're going to end with this. You can't see it very well, but that's them in dodging bullets. That's amazing. Same movie. I'm terrible at that. That's terrible. So you know what? You're going to fail. And when you fail at this sort of idea of sin, come back to the cross. Come back again with a a soft heart, even when you've done tolerance wrong, even when you've offended someone, even when you've spoken, you say, man, I shouldn't have, I did it wrong. You keep a soft heart yourself, right? That we come back in everything to the wonder that Jesus is our all. 
He died for you. He loves you.